was a newspaper article not too long ago about a woman in her 80s who was coming out of a store to the car and she saw four men sitting inside of it. So she assumed that they were trying to steal it. So she pulled out a gun that her son had given her. She's in her 80s, remember. And she starts screaming at the top of her lungs, I've got a gun and I know how to use it. So these four guys just ran away. Then she, she got in the car and she discovered a little problem. Her key didn't fit the ignition. <laughs> Wrong car. So she found her car, drove to the police station and told an officer what the whole story and he started to laugh and pointed to the other end of the room where there are these four scared looking guys reporting a carjacking by a crazy elderly woman. <laughs> Mistaken identity in terms of the car. In a way, the re one of the reasons Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son is to prevent a case of mistaken identity when it comes to God. What is God like? What is God really like? For some people, God is the cosmic killjoy. His mission is to keep you from doing anything fun. Last week, I, I took my two daughters to the Nutcracker, and right before it began, my five-year-old said, when is the movie going to start? And I said, it's not a movie, it's, it's dancing, there's no words. And then she said loud enough for three rows to hear, no words, this is going to be boring. And I thought, okay, there's 50 bucks wasted. That's how some people view God, this is going to be boring. Others see God as angry, out to zap us for our sins, so they're afraid of him. I can't tell you the number of parties I have ruined by telling people what I do for a living. And usually someone says something like, church, oh, if I went to church, the building would cave in. You know, as if we had like sinner detectors everywhere. It went off when a sinner went by. Problem be the darn thing be going off all the time, right? And it's really awkward on a Sunday morning when the senior pastor sets it off, kind of <laughs> kills worship. Some people are afraid of God. And others think that God is indifferent to them. Maybe he's out there, but... And loves other people even, but he doesn't care about me. Jesus tells this story to show what God is really like. And to convince us that if we turn to him, he will make our lives bigger, richer, deeper, better. And the father in this story represents God. And he shows us a couple of things about who God is. And what God wants to give us for Christmas. And the first is this. The father has good eyesight. The younger son humiliates his dad by saying, old man, you're not dying fast enough for me. Give me my money now. And then he squanders it. And in spite of that, the text says that when the prodigal son was still at a distance returning home, the father saw him and ran to him. And what that means is that not one day had gone by that this father wasn't scanning the horizon, hoping for a glimpse of his son. God is in the business of seeking us, searching for us, and reaching out to us all the time. A woman in this church told me that when her brother, who I'll call John, was a young adult, in her words, he was meaner than a junkyard dog. And John got a job in a small town and ended up living in a boarding house. One of the boarders there was a Christian and would always try to talk to John about Jesus, but John wouldn't listen. Well, then one day John wanted this Christian to, uh, to bet with him on the outcome of a hockey game. So the Christian guy said, okay, but if you lose the bet, you have to go to church with me. Okay, I don't even know if that's biblical. Like, like gambling for Jesus. But it, it worked. John lost the bet, go figure. Went to church that night. That started a long journey that eventually led him to follow Jesus. 
become a pastor that worked with at-risk teens. He had 30 foster kids live in his house. It started with that bet. That was God reaching out to John. The Father is reaching out to you. He is not indifferent to your needs. And he longs to give you a deep, close, intimate relationship with the God who created everything. And that's what Christmas is. God coming to us in human form to get to you and to get to me. The second thing this story shows us is that the Father is good, but he's not fair. As I've said a couple weeks ago, the elder son has a point here. right? He's done all the hard work, but the prodigal son gets the party. It's not fair. That's right. The grace of God is not fair, and that's good news. Because it means that all kinds of people like you and me and sinners and judgmental elder brother types and prodigals, they all get grace even though they don't deserve it. Now that's not how we would do this. You know, if I were writing this story, it would have ended differently. I'd have the younger son come home, beg forgiveness, and then the father would restore him as a hired hand. And he would have learned his lesson, and he would know that while he could be his father's servant, he could never be his father's son again. That's the story Jesus should have told, don't you think? In fact, in Jesus' day, there was a well-known story that went just that way. And you can kind of see all the religious leaders, you know, when Jesus launches into this story, you can see the religious leaders who were upset with Jesus for hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. You can kind of see them going, oh, I love this one. This is a great one. Oh, the son really gets it in the end. Right? And then Jesus puts this kind of surprise ending on it, and you can kind of see their faces fall like, oh, man. You mean we don't get to judge anybody today? Darn. Because in Jesus' version... No matter what we've done or haven't done, we are still welcomed home by the Father if we'll return to him. One of the most moving lines in Scripture is when it says in this story, while he was still a long way off, the Father ran to him. And what you need to understand is in that culture, men did not run. It was considered undignified because they would have to hike up their robes and expose their undergarments. So men didn't run, but this father runs to his son. And that's significant because in that culture, As the son was returning home, all the villagers would have gathered outside to jeer him and to shame him for his bad behavior as he returned. But see how good the father is. He runs to his son, drawing those shaming, judgmental eyes away from his son and onto him. He absorbs his son's shame. And then he embraces him and says, welcome home. I have missed you. That's God. At Christmas, in Jesus, God Almighty sacrifices his dignity, born in a barn, died on a cross to take our shame. In the words of the old hymn, it is nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It's good, but it's not fair. Especially to God who didn't deserve that. And this Christmas, God wants to replace our shame with his joy. And then the last thing this story shows us is that the father is rich. And he provides for his children. Materially, the elder bro- he says to the elder brother, everything I have is yours. I think that's significant for us in this economic climate that we're in. God will provide for our needs. Maybe not our wants, but our needs. And I got dozens and dozens of stories of folks who've been in severe financial problems. And God has provided for them. It wasn't always easy. They had to learn to live with less. But God met their needs. But more importantly, God the Father meets our heart needs as well. You know, in this story, the father doesn't just say to his son, yeah, all right, you can come back. He throws him a party. 
Because God's love is extravagant and extreme. The word prodigal means wasteful, spendthrift, lavish. You know, this is not the story of the prodigal son at all, is it? The parable's misnamed. It's the story of the prodigal father. The story of a father whose heart is extravagant, wasteful, lavish in the extreme. We belong to a spendthrift God who foolishly, wastefully spends his grace on people like you and people like me who do not deserve it, who cannot pay him back, and who cannot earn it. All so that he can say to us, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. I have missed you. Pastor John Ortberg tells a story about his father-in-law named Al. And Al, Al wasn't a real expressive guy. He, he's kinda, he loved to fish and he loved to hunt. And in fact, he loved hunting so much that when his granddaughter was a toddler, he started preparing her to go hunting with him. So when he asked her, how does a doggy go? She'd say, woof. How does a cow go? She'd say, moo. And then he'd say, how does a birdie go? And he taught her to say, bang. So that when he took her hunting, she wouldn't be surprised. That's, that's the kind of guy Al was. Wasn't real sensitive. Right? His daughter never heard him say the words, I love you, ever. Well, one day Al came home and said to his wife, well, I got it. And that's how the family found out that he had terminal cancer. Well, it was hard to talk to Al about anything, let alone God or anything spiritual. And he'd been burned by the church in his past. He grew up poor, so he was, you know, the church, a lot of church people shamed him for that. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. Well, then one day, John Ortberg's mom was talking with Al, and she said, you know, Al, who knows what's going to happen? I may die before you, but maybe not. And then what if one of our grandkids, because we share the same grandkids, what if one of them asked, what about Papa and God? What am I supposed to tell him? How does it stand between you and God? Well, at first he kind of pushed back on that, but she kind of kept persisting gently. And, and they had a long conversation about this God who came himself in the person of Jesus to die to pay the penalty for their sins, so that we, our sins, so we could be reconciled to God. And that sounded like a God of grace and love, not the judgmental, angry God Al grew up with. And, this, and, this, and over his life, Al had racked up a lot of sins and mistakes, so he was carrying a lot of shame. And this God of grace seemed like someone who could absorb his shame and turn it into joy. So Al eventually made Jesus his leader and his forgiver. And that began to change Al. He and John Ortberg, his son-in-law, started reading the Bible together and, and talking about it. And one day they got done, and, and, and Al said, I want to pray. So John bowed his head to pray, and, and, then, and Al said, no, 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 let's do that hand thing you church people do. He wanted to hold hands when they prayed. And John says, if you knew Al, you knew that was like, um, like parting the Red Sea miracle. Huge, right? I'm not a hand holder, so that part kind of freaks me out. But Al liked it, and that's the point. And Al just started to have all this joy in life, in spite of the cancer. Never been a joyful man before, but suddenly he had all this joy, in spite of the cancer. Well, then one night, John heard his wife talking on the phone to Al, her dad. It was a long conversation. At the end of it, John heard his wife say, I love you too, Dad. When she hung up, John said, does that, does that mean what I think it, think it means? And his wife said, yeah, my dad just told me he loved me. Well, the next morning, Al had a stroke. And several weeks later, he died. But the last sentence his daughter heard him say was, I love you, for the first time in his life. Because that's what happens. When people encounter the love and the grace and the provision of the Father, they're changed. When Al saw the real God revealed in Jesus, not the angry or indifferent or boring God, but the God who makes life bigger, richer, deeper, better, he was changed. 
And yes, he still died from the cancer, but not before God gave him a lot of really important things, like a renewed relationship with his family, intimacy with the living God, ultimate security for this life and beyond, and indestructible joy, no matter the circumstances. And that's what the real God revealed in Jesus wants to give to you and me this Christmas. So how does it stand between you and God? Do you think he's angry, indifferent to you, boring? This week, will you turn to him in prayer and say, God, show me the real you and help me to know your love in a way that changes me? Or maybe you've been running away like the prodigal. So this week, will you turn and face him and say, I don't want to run away anymore, Jesus. Help me to follow you. Not, and do what you say to do, not to obey rules, but to have the kind of life he came to give us. Or maybe you're not even sure he exists. Pray to him anyway. What do you have to lose? Say, Jesus, if you're there, show me. I discovered a website called Wordle. And you put a text into it and it turns it into art based on the frequency with which each word is used. So I put in the story of the prodigal son and, and this is what came out. And I think it's significant that the three biggest words there are father, son, celebrate. That is the heart of God. He says to you and he says to me, you are my son, you are my daughter. I love you. And he wants to give you joy this Christmas and celebrate with you because he loves you. Richard Mao, the president of Fuller Seminary, tells a story about when he was six years old. And this, this man dressed as Santa Claus this one Christmas came into his kindergarten class and started shouting in his booming voice, ho, 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 who wants to sit on Santa's lap? And all the kids started to cry. They were afraid. So finally, this T-Rex of a Santa Claus pointed at Richard Mao and said, You, Richard, come and sit on my lap. Richard said he almost wet his pants. He was so afraid. <laughs> like he thought, How does he know my name? Have I been naughty? Have I been nice? Am I in trouble? Oh, no. And he walked up to Santa Claus trembling and sat down in his lap. And just then the Santa Claus pulled his beard down and said, Psst, Richard, it's me, Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown was a family friend that Richard just adored and go places with Richard and his father. They had all kinds of fun together. And he said from then on he relaxed because he knew that this Santa was for him and wanted to give him good things. That's God and that's Christmas. The false images we have of God make him seem terrifying, indifferent, boring. So he comes in human form at Christmas time. Christmas is God pulling down his beard and saying, Psst, it's me. I love you. I'm for you. I want to give you good things. I want to have a party with you. God is not waiting for you to measure up. He's waiting for you to look up. And when you do, he will celebrate and spend his prodigal love on you. So this Christmas, will you let him do it? Will you let him in?